Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at ararekindoffaith.com. I am not fun when I'm pregnant. (laughs) Knowing what I know now, I'm sure it was nutrition, right, And, and some other things, but it's like my husband got to the point where he could tell me when I was pregnant before I even wondered if I was pregnant. Because I am Jekyll and Hyde, just like that. <laughs> and so now we've invested in this year with Bob Proctor, and I am pregnant, and I want nothing to do with the business. I am done with the business. Honey, why don't you have a job? Yeah. And he just quit his job. He had just quit his job to do this. And uh, I'm like... I'm trying to pull myself together for this, but I'm angry all the time. I am hurtful. I say things that are just awful. And he's taking this abuse. He told me one time, I feel abused. And he was abused. But the way I was seeing life, if you've ever had a family member with clinical depression, I never went and got diagnosed because the one time I went to try to get help, she kicked me off and I walked out of there. (laughs) So... But I'm quite certain that that's what it was. But if you've ever lived with someone or been that person, it doesn't matter what's going on or how good things are. They're seeing nothing but awful. The person can be an amazing, kind-hearted person, and they can do no right. It's a very, very difficult place to be and things to experience. And so... This year begins with Bob Proctor with me being in this place. I mean, I'm mad at him for not, oh, maybe that's why that event was so bad. I came home and wanted to cry. I'd never put that together. (laughs) Very possible. (laughs) Anyway, so how did we get back to dreaming? So the recession happened on the back end of this pregnancy and this year with Bob and just about lose everything. Had to sell our dream home. You know that one on the website? That's one we had to sell. But... We needed to take some time. We needed to stop trying and just get our life in order. How can we downsize? He went and got a job that was at a reduction in pay from what he had worked with before. He had just spent five years out of his industry jumping back in at an entry-level position. And it's called Dancing in Your Tutu for a while. Rich Christensen wrote a book called The Zigzag Principle. And I think it's in there where he was one of our mentors at the time too. But on your way to the goal, it's a zigzag. And you just got to know what your guardrails are. It's a great book. You should read it. But one of the things he talks about is sometimes on your way to the goal, you have to do something you don't want to do, you know, to get you going. In the Jack of a Factor, it's called getting that paper bag with the sandwich in it, even though it's not the rabbit. It's something and you can be grateful for it. So he got this job that was less than what he was used to making and we reduced our expenses as much as we can. We sold off the travel trailer. We sold off everything we could just to start over. In the middle of all this, I had to go get welfare. And the reason is because through all this in our marriage, we were having this role struggle. I never wanted to be the breadwinner. That wasn't why I did what I did. 
the whole thing started by me wanting to be a stay-at-home mom and him wanting that for his family. That's where it all started. And now I'm carrying this load, which he is working longer hours than me probably, but the paycheck doesn't have his name on it, which is really hard on a marriage. At least with where we were coming from, we were very traditional about our roles. We wanted to be very traditional with those. And so at the time, I was struggling, you know, a bill would come along, and I would know that I could use the principles to go generate some income and pay it, but I was frankly tired and wanted him to do it. I wanted him to take over. I mean, I'm homeschooling seven children and running this business, and he was feeling really down because he didn't have a paycheck with his name on it, but he was working his tail off, and so it was just awful, and I told him, I want you to handle it. This next thing that comes along, I want you to handle it. He says, I want you to let me stop jumping in, you know? And so I'm like, all right, if I'm serious, one of those moments where you realize the ladder you built is leaning on the wrong wall. This looks nothing like what we'd want it to look like. And so the zigzag principle, you know, we hit this guardrail. This is a no. We're not proceeding down this path anymore. We're going to take another direction. And so he's like, let me. So the next thing comes along, and by this time, I was just too tired to try anyway. I'm like, awesome. Whatever the consequences are, I was a little bit afraid that if he were to take over and it didn't work out, it would be more than I could handle to experience failure at his hands. I'm like, I don't dare let him fail. But I was exhausted enough that it was time to let him figure it out. So along comes this next big bill, and he didn't know what to do. He was like... I have no idea what to do. So we went to our bishop and asked for assistance. And inside I'm thinking, I could think of a hundred things we could do instead of this. But I had to let him own it. That was our agreement, is to let him own it. And that means I'm going to the bishop's storehouse. And I'm like, awesome. There's people there that probably know about my book. And so I'm standing outside. I'm like, here we go. You know what? If I am too proud to walk in those doors and get some help in this crisis, then I am worse off than I thought I was, and I just got to do this. This was good for me. Didn't love it, but I knew it was good for my soul. And so I went in there, and there they are. Oh, hi, Leslie, what are you doing? <laughs> they didn't say that. They're like, Leslie. And I'm like, hi, how are you doing? Give them a big old hug. And, and I'm happily praying that they think I'm a Relief Society president. <laughs> <laughs> someone else but I did that twice and I went home and I'm like honey I think you should take a turn and he's like that's the least I can do and so he went and he comes home he's like that is the last time <laughs> it was so humiliating for him he's like that is the last time we're going to figure this out I'm like awesome you know I'm seeing this man come up and he didn't solve everything right away but I think it was about the time he decided it was okay to take an entry-level job, because at least it's something. All of this is going on in the 10 years. Remember I told you this restaurant thing, well, we have it figured out in 10 years? Well, we're in the middle of these 10 years, and we're trying to figure it out. And so uh, we're putting things together. We ended up moving, like, we moved to a smaller home that was nice enough that we hoped it wouldn't be too depressing for the kids. And then the next home, I'm like, you know what, we've got to downsize as far as we thought we could because rent would raise and stuff and we're looking for something that we could afford easier. Bit by bit, we ended up moving like three times. Downsized too far. We're like, this is insane. We can't do this. Trying to get our finances in order and everything. All the while, I'm getting emails. 
this book has changed my life. Because <laughs> 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 I knew the principles were true. We just had some wounds. And we weren't ready to put our necks out there again. We weren't ready to do it again. We would try in little things, but I'm like, I don't dare set the goal for our income this year. Like, you can do that. What kind of income do we want to make this year? And you set the goal and do this, and then you watch the opportunities start coming your way. We weren't ready to do that. And not only that, but we're kind of moving back into it at different paces. Some days I'm ready and he's not ready. Other days he's ready, I'm not ready. And that was that was tough. But in the middle of all this, I would get into these places where I would be so frustrated, ready to go, and him not being ready to go, that I had a lot of angry, sobbing moments, praying, why show me what's possible if I can't have it? Part of the problem was that I would get impatient with my husband if he was having lack of belief or if he was having fear, I would get mad at him for that because I knew what kind of effect it had on our results. And I would get tired of shouldering the load of the faith. And other times I'm sure he felt the same way. But I remember one time just being so upset that if I go make this happen, it's like the more I tried to do what I knew we could do, the smaller it made him feel. Does that make sense? So here I am wanting to operate on a principle that I know is true to help solve these problems. All the while, every time I make an attempt, it makes him feel smaller. And I'm like, either I go after the vision or I preserve a marriage. Dang it, that is a sucky place to be. I don't even use that word. I don't. And not only that, but I felt a calling, an obligation to share it with other people. But as I do this, it makes me feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And he's telling me that he feels abused. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to live what I know is true and preserve this marriage that we intend to be forever? And uh, I remember finally getting to a breaking point with it and decided, you know what? If I have to choose a vision or marriage, I choose marriage. If that means my business dies, if that means I stop teaching, if that means I live in a shack, if that means we have cards that don't start, so be it. I choose my marriage. And the thought came to me, if we plan on being together forever, I know that eventually he's going to figure these things out too. It's our past. It's going to happen eventually, even if it's not, okay, I believe in an afterlife where we keep growing. Even if he doesn't heal from this until after we're gone and it's in the next life, so be it. What's the hurry? Why do I need him to have it figured out today? We're in this together forever. And part of me was feeling rather noble. Another part of me was really ticked off. You're making me choose between what I know is possible and groveling here with you. I was mad. I was mad. But then on the other side of being mad, I had this feeling that was like, wow, what it feels like to not have expectations on another person. 
to stop expecting him to change. You mean I get to just love him and it doesn't matter where we live or what we're doing? It doesn't matter if I'm teaching these things or not. I just get to love him. And I felt this joy, this, you know, I, I used to be all about, and I still kind of am all about goal achievement because goal achievement is what helped me cope with depression. It was my, it was my fix. If I could set a goal and achieve it, then it helped me feel happy for a moment before the depression took over again until I did it again. And so that was my drug of choice was goal achievement. And when I let go of expectations on my husband and I found after anger, when I found joy in just not having to achieve anything to have happiness, it was a different kind of joy. It was like a long-lasting kind of joy. It felt different than that hit of achieving a goal. And what's interesting is I didn't need him to change anymore. I just was able to accept him and love him just the way he was, which, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, I, <laughs> I know I'm not easy to live with. <laughs> just say that. And I'm trying really hard to be more of what I should be. I get so excited about the principles that other things can fall out of balance. And so that's my caution to you. Let it be about rare faith, about your purpose, your mission, and keeping relationships above these things. But what do you think was happening with me? Once I let go of those expectations, my vibration was different. My energy changed. How I showed up in our conversations was different. I wasn't always checking in on, well, what are we going to do next or where are we at with this thing that we decided to do and da 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 It wasn't about that anymore. It was just like, hey, want to see a movie? Let's go watch a movie. Hey, how's your day? It was a lot more about the relationship. And I didn't need it to happen. I kind of hoped it wouldn't happen. But he started changing. He started thinking about goals. He started dreaming about what he could achieve because he was finally in a position where he could do that in this space of not being expected to have it a certain way or a certain level or anything like that. And what I realized, a lot of what his discouragement was, was with my expectations that things can always be better, faster, bigger, he had lost any hope that he could ever impress me, which is important for men to be able to do or feel like they can do. Because if he were to come up with this great idea, I would immediately be thinking about how it could be better. And so it was never good enough. And I didn't realize this is what I was doing to him. But when I let go of all expectations, suddenly he was dreaming and growing and he took up cycling. He lost a bunch of weight and he started thriving. Like I hadn't seen him since before our marriage, which is kind of a hard thing for me to look at and realize what I had done all those years. But part of me was a little frustrated because, like, oh, no, now he's going to be achieving goals. I'm going to feel like I have to do something. You know, I'm going to have to keep up with him. And I'd already gotten really comfortable with letting that go. So one thing he taught me about expectations, and I think this might be useful for you, he had learned in his corporate environment about expectations and how damaging they can be. And I wish I could site where he got this from. I'm sure you could Google it and find the source. But he said there's this UAC method where expectations should not be had unless there's first an understanding of what's expected. Like there's an understanding. Like you think of a boss 
uh, employee relationship. If the boss has expectations of the employee, it's not going to go well if the employee didn't understand what those expectations were, right? So they need to understand what was expected. They need to agree to it, and they need to commit to it. So that's a conversation that my husband and I had about some of these issues. All right, honey, let's figure out who's going to solve this next problem, for example. And if he agrees he's going to be the one to solve the problem and commits to it, then I can hold an expectation. But I was holding a lot of expectations on him that were unspoken, that were of my own invention, that he had never understood or agreed to, and so he was always wrong. I was always making him wrong for the way he was being and the way he was thinking or talking or dreaming or whatever because he was not meeting my expectations, which had never been communicated, never been agreed to, and never been committed to. It's a very simple principle, but it can help relationships tremendously. So a few years back, he had actually worked his way up in that job that he'd gotten back to, worked his way up, and had impressed the company enough that they sent us to Cayman Islands, all expenses paid for a week, which was like our first real vacation that we'd ever had like that. It was awesome. Things are turning around. Things are looking good. After a little while, after a few years, he comes home from work one day at 10 a.m. And I'm like, honey, what are you doing here? And he said, this is really exciting. And I said, what's this? And he said, they just let me go. And he's looking at me like, there is something awesome in this. There is something really awesome in this. And I'm like, okay, all right. We've been through hard stuff, and we understood the principles, and we practiced them enough that we knew what to do. And so immediately we start dreaming about what are we going to do? What are we going to create? Okay, you know, you're free to work the business with me again. What can we do next? We're going to create this and this and this. And we're getting excited. We're getting excited. 30 minutes to get the phone call. Hey, wondered if you'd like to come down and interview. You've got a position over here for this other thing. 30 minutes. He had applied there a few weeks before but never heard back because he was kind of feeling things not going well at work, and he thought, I think I need to be looking. And so he had applied at a place, never heard back, thought, oh, well, I guess they're not interested. He gets let go. 30 minutes later, they're calling him saying, yeah, we'd like you to come interview. A position just opened up today. And uh, he goes in an interview. Oh, and by the way, while he's waiting for the interview, he's free to create. And so he gets on Facebook right away, and in our neighborhood, he's like, hey, guys, just want to let you know, I was just let go, and I am committed to providing for my family. Here are the things that I can do. I'm a handyman. I can do X, Y, Z, and you can pay me whatever, whatever you want to pay. You can pay whatever. A little bit, doesn't matter. I'm here to serve you. And so I'm seeing him approach this setback much differently than the first time. Now he can see what he can do. Whereas before, he's like, he was in so much fear, he has no idea. But now, the ideas are just flying because he put himself very quickly into a vibration where those ideas are already in the room. Well, in the meantime, he starts getting requests for laying carpet or fixing this or doing that. So he's out busy right away. And he's taking his son with him like an apprentice. Hey, teaching you how to do stuff. And he's turning it into a really great positive experience. This job that he ended up getting ended up being a raise. Oh, by the way, because he was let go, he got severance. 
So he got severance, he got a raise, and he gets to work at home three days a week. An improvement upon the job that he just left. And I think it has everything to do with how he chose to respond to that setback, which is something that we were so bad at those first seven years. We would see a setback and I'm calling the police, you know. So it was really cool to go through that experience and look at each other and say, do you see how far we've come? Knowing that these principles are dependable. They're dependable. So we realized, okay, this 10-year span the anniversary is next year, in the summer, is when that restaurant thing happens. But after he got the job, we started into kind of a holding pattern. I mean, it wasn't all, okay, we got the job. It still wasn't really the dream that we'd envisioned entirely. We were still renting. He still got dreams to do his own thing, and the job is a means to an end. So it's not everything that he wanted, but it's a step, and it's a good step, and we're growing in confidence. We started daring to dream again a little bit. He had an opportunity to go to Germany on a cycling tour. And on the cycling tour, it was a personal development cycling tour where their guy would take them 10 days where they're packing all the stuff that they're going to live on and their shelter and everything. And every time they'd stop at camp, they would have personal development training at night. And so it was just a dream trip for him. And he'd been wanting to go for about four years. First, it was going to be like Australia and couldn't pull the trigger on that. We didn't feel like we could afford it yet. And then there was going to be New Zealand and he just didn't feel like he could make that trip. And then there was Iceland and he didn't feel like he could make that trip. But when it was Germany, and that's his homeland, his heritage is from Germany, and he's done family history over there, he's like, I have got to do Germany. I am not going to miss this one. And there's that decision, that quality decision. He let himself imagine it. He let himself feel it. He let himself start making steps to making it happen. And one of the things that he experienced there was really interesting. You know, we've been a little bit tentative about setting goals just because that was a hard recession and we don't feel fast. (laughs) Or we didn't feel fast. Learning those lessons. But while he's out there, and it turned out that on this tour, he was the only cyclist that signed up. And so he got this one-on-one with the guy, which was awesome. This guy is cool. If you're a cyclist and you want this kind of a thing, you'll have to get with me and find out more about it. But his goal was he wanted to cycle every country of the world and get paid for it. He's living it out. And so during this year that this happened, he left like in March and was gone through August and hit Czechoslovakia and Germany and... Ireland, and and Trevin, my husband, is going to share more of that story. There's some miracles that happened on that trek, but while he was out there, one of the experiences, and you can Google this, it's called, Why Can't We Walk in a Straight Line? And there's been studies done that if you put a person in a field and you blindfold them and tell them to walk straight, they will do circles. And so he told my husband this. And he's like, so what I want you to do, see that building over there? That's your target. I'm going to blindfold you, and I want you to walk to that building. And so my husband is like, well, I'm going to be the first one that actually does this. And most of the time, people are going to the right. And so he's intentionally course-correcting to the left, just to be sure, while he's blindfolded, heading towards the, the building. Anyway, after a while, Lane, his guide, says, okay, stop. And so he stops, and he says, open your eyes takes off the blindfold, and he's facing 
the building, straight in front of him. He's like, awesome, I did it. And then he looks around, and he realizes that he had done a full circle. (laughs) He was back to where he started from, within a few feet. And he says the lights went on, and he realized that is how important it is to keep your vision in front of you. How important it is, and what I mean by that is if you have a vision for your family life to look a certain way or you're trying to get into a certain career or whatever, check in with it. When you feel fear or doubt, your response to fear or doubt is to stop and see it again. See it again. Feel it again. Okay, now you're on the right path again. And it's a subconscious thing. You will go in circles if you don't check in on where you're going and what you're trying to accomplish. And if you don't know what your goal should be, here's one that works for everyone. Imagine yourself on the last day of your life. For whatever reason, you know that this is your last day. And you're surrounded by loved ones, perhaps. And you're just preparing for that transition. And you're reflecting back on your life. And you're asking yourself, what you accomplished and how you feel about it. And you just think, well, I did this and that and we built this and we did that. And let yourself imagine it as though it's the life you live. That will put you on the trajectory of your life's purpose. And even if you don't know what you want to say you did or accomplished, you can answer, how do you want to feel? I want to feel accomplished. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to feel like I accomplished everything I was put here to do. I had all the relationships that I wanted to have. I made the difference I wanted to make. And it can be vague, but let the feeling be real. That makes sense. So, in the book, there is a moment where the couple that we're following, and, and if you haven't read the book, Jack Urban Factor is about a couple who are at the end of their financial rope and they're stressed, and it's basically me and Trevin. Except I think I am both characters, and it's just me split up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I needed it to be fiction. It, it just needed to be. But at the end of the Jack Urban Factor, the lights go on and they get it, and life's going to be awesome for them. All right? And so Portal to Genius needed to be written because... I'll tell you what happens first is this couple, we pick up with them again, but he gets a reduction in pay. So he, he's coming away from this epiphany, like, oh, my gosh, we're going to change our life. Everything's going to be good. And he goes to work just ready to knock it out of the park, and he gets the reduction in pay. And that's a lot of times what it feels like happens when we set a goal. I intended for things to go better, and they went worse instead. But what it means is that like my husband's job loss. Your life, there's a Christian song that says, your life's not falling apart, it's falling into place. And I love that idea. And it's learning to look at when things are falling apart with gratitude, like I don't know why this is good for me, I have no idea, but thank you for this setback because contained within it is something awesome and I intend to realize it. That puts you on a vibration that's different than the one that says, oh man, nothing ever goes well for me. We're constantly creating our experience with our choice of thoughts and words, constantly. But 
in the sequel, it also picks up a couple more characters. There's uh, one guy who needs to find a medical miracle for his son. I put that in there because I wanted this to not just be about money. There's another character in there who needs to find $4.5 million by Wednesday. And so you get to see how each of these characters are applying these principles to accomplish whatever it is they need to do next. And so at one point, the couple who have been putting their lives together, using the principles, kind of zigzagging their way, they are dreaming of having a home of their own. And when it comes time for them to get the home, they're amazed, they're excited, they feel guided to do some things that they wouldn't otherwise do except they're feeling like, I think we need to be over here, I think we need to do this. And they end up with a house that they buy sight unseen. They were in the living room talking with the owner, making this arrangement to buy the house. And they make the purchase and then they realize, you know, we, we never even took a tour of the home. We just knew that was the right house. And so when it finally turned over to them, they're exploring and they're like, oh my gosh, it has this. Oh my gosh, it has that. Oh my gosh, I didn't know it would have this. And it sounds really cheesy in a fiction because, yeah, I can write it however I want it to. But remember where I was when I wrote it. We were coming through hardships and I'm just imagining with this couple, how does it work out for them? And so I'm creating this. And then, I'm not going to give you a spoiler of what she finds in the basement, but make sure you read it. <laughs> and it's not a creepy thing. Arsenic and old lace. So, at the beginning of this year, I was finally feeling ready to throw myself into the principles again. I was finally feeling healed enough. And look, that's been seven, eight years. <laughs> I took about six years off of my work to just recover and be with the family and figure out what do I know? What do I really know? Because I thought I knew everything and I don't. And uh, so I, I was feeling healed enough and decided, you know what? I'm going to set a new goal for the business. Because I know what happens when I do that and I think I'm ready. Because I also know that sometimes setbacks show up and I don't like those. And sometimes... They show up, and then the thing I needed is on the other side of that, but I'm very conscious of how this works. So I was ready. I'm like, it's time. And so I set an intention for the year, and was getting really excited about it, and was ready to talk to my husband about it. And when I was ready to share it with him, his response was kind of deflating. Like, he wasn't ready in that moment. Like I said, we're doing this all the time. And I don't even remember it. I just remember the feeling was he was feeling fear. He was feeling this and that, whatever. And I was like, oh, I thought we were ready. I remember driving and just being so upset again, kind of reliving those moments where if I can't have it, why show me what's possible? And I was mad again. And something shifted a little bit. Instead of feeling like I needed to sacrifice all of that and just be married, and focus on the relationship and give all that up, I felt like we had come to a place where he was kind of doing his own goal setting and achievement at his own pace, in his own way, with the things he wanted to do. He was in a better place. And I couldn't let where he was at stop me from dreaming and choosing my goals. And so in the car that day, I'm driving down and I'm mad, and I just remember thinking, his demons are not my demons. 
I don't have to be held back by his demons. And by demons, I just meant those doubts and fears that sometimes creep in, right? And so sometimes you have to give attention to the relationship. Other times you have to step forward anyway. And if you've got in your mind, or at least have planted the intention for what you want your life to have looked like when all is said and done, I picture myself still with my husband at the end of my life. Therefore, intuitively, the first time around, unconsciously, subconsciously, however you want to call it, intuitively, I knew I needed to attend to the relationship. But this time, intuitively, it was time to just do it anyway. Do you see how, that's why I can't stand in front of anyone and say, when you're in a situation like this, you should do that. Don't do what I did. Don't do what I'm doing because that's what I did. You go get the vision. You spot your rabbit and you will instinctively know which way to jump at the right time. Is there anybody here who has not read Jack of Factor? Okay. So the idea of the Jack of Factor is if you were to see a dog chasing a rabbit that couldn't see the rabbit, what would you think of the dog? You think he's crazy because he's jumping, darting, but you can't see the rabbit, you know, he's chasing this rabbit. What I realized we had been doing all those years that we were listening to seminar speakers and everything is they were giving us bullet points on say this to the prospect, do this, do this, do this, and we would say and do those things and it wouldn't work for us. And it's because we were seeing someone who had caught a rabbit and duplicating their steps, they jump left, they bark right, they da 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 Okay, we'll jump left, we'll bark right, and think it would produce the rabbit. It doesn't produce the rabbit. You have to spot the rabbit and then chase it. It's following the dream. It's not going through the motion thinking a dream will show up at the end of that. See the difference? It's chasing the dream. So set the intention for my goals. It was actually that next summer, which was this last summer, when my husband went to Germany, things are moving. We're both kind of coming to the, a healthier place with the whole thing, and things start falling into place. Things start rocking and rolling. Things start going good again, and it's been a long haul from there to there, those 10 years. But what's exciting to me is after setting the intention and getting on the same page a little more, we had a conversation one of our goals as a couple was when he's retired, we wanted to be able to go serve missions, go do service somewhere. And he had this thought, he's like, honey, you know, it's highly possible that I get to retirement and we feel like we should keep doing what we're already doing. It's possible. And I said, I've had the same thought. I mean, no telling. You know, we want to do, we want to be doing whatever we feel like God wants us to be doing. But I said, you know, that is highly possible. And actually, if we want to be serving missions, why do we have to wait until you're retired? Why don't we just do better what we're already doing? And this can be a mission for us, in a sense, helping people understand these principles. And it's like we felt something land. We felt this connection that we kind of been dancing around for years and finally got united in a way that we hadn't been before. Same ideas, same time, same, you know, it's been a long time in coming. But we felt like, okay, this is what we do. How's that going to look? What should we do? And we started dreaming about how we were going to help people understand these principles, reach more people, make it easier to access, and all these things. 
and uh, we get to work. We're like, awesome, you know, we already know we want a house. We already know these things. We've set those goals, but we're going to focus on our mission. And it's interesting because 10 years prior, I would struggle over being a mom and doing the business, being a mom versus doing the business, doing my work. And there was always this pull, like, oh, I feel guilty if I'm working too much in the business because my kids need me. And then I'm over here and I'm feeling guilty that I'm letting this not be attended to. Like, I'm not responding where people are needing me. And and so I heard Sharon Lecter, who is Rich Dad, Poor Dad author, actually. She and Kiyosaki wrote it together. She said one time, this balancing is a myth for us to have balance between work and family. She said, if you're standing on two feet, work and family, and you're perfectly balanced, now try to go somewhere. Try to get anywhere. And she says, you shift. You just kind of swing back and forth, and you get a rhythm. So you do this, and then when you see this needs help, you come over here. And you don't let yourself feel guilty about that shifting. And that kind of held me together. And it got me through a lot of times. But what's changed for me now this year is when we had this idea that this is like a mission for us now. And when I wake up and I am serving, sometimes I'm serving my children. Sometimes I'm serving my subscribers or a reader or a client or someone. It's all service. And these lights went on, and I'm like, it's not, is it work or is it family? Is there balance? Is there not balance? And it, it kind of all came together, and I realized it's one master, one master service to whoever needs the service. So sometimes my kids need me, and I let myself be 100% of them. Trusting, because of what we learned at the restaurant, that... These other things can wait because I don't have to do it all, all the time, all at the same time. I can serve where I'm needed and trust that there is unseen help handling the other things until I can get back to it. There is another something that you can imagine. Imagine help from the other side handling things that you can't attend to. And how do you do that? You see it in your mind. This over here being handled and feeling grateful, and then not fearing, and not doubting. That's another application of the rare faith principles. It's not just about money. And using it for things that you need as they come up, I'll just share one. So about a week or two ago, oh, I forgot to tell you. So we've got this mission mindset now, which is awesome because it's not, remember when it was all about having to pay the bills. He has taken this mission on by providing for the family with this great job and choosing to enjoy it because it helps with the bigger mission. And um, it allows me to do what I'm doing without it needing to pay a bill. Does that make sense? And that's one reason why so much of our stuff is available for free. We have it in print and we have some things printed here and in physical form here because some people just don't like downloads. Some people don't like to bother with that. So we're approaching it now with this mission mindset, and within just a couple weeks, we've kind of been watching the market for a home, and I thought we found one in January that was perfect. I mean, I had already scaled back my expectations on what I needed in a home. It didn't need to impress anyone. Not that it ever did, but I just had very 
short list of things that would be really awesome to have in, in a home where we could settle and be done and put to rest that question, where are we going to be next year? Are we going to move again? Are we going to pay the higher rent? Are we going to do that? You know, where are we going to retire? And all those questions, which have been a distraction a lot of times from us accomplishing what we felt like we were put here to do. But over the summer, I felt this urgency to save fast, to take every last penny that I could extract out of our budget and just pack it away, pack it away, pack it away. And then we found a home in Queen Creek, Arizona, that it just felt right. It was a beautiful neighborhood. It was simple. It was small. It had one living space. And, you know, half of our kids are gone, and so we don't need as much room as we used to. And I'm thinking, this is our retirement home. We can deal with one living space for the next eight years. It's our retirement home. You know, I'm already moving them out in my head. (laughs) 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 And they'll just deal with it. And so many features just made my heart sing. I'm like, this is... This, I could be happy here. We could just be done and settle it. And it was more than we wanted to pay, but wasn't any of them more than I wanted to pay at this point because we've seen what the market has done. And it feeling inflated again. We're like, we'll just wait for another crash. <laughs> but it felt right. And so we were thinking, all right, let's sleep on it. Let's pray about it over the weekend and see how we feel. Monday morning, I open my email, and this other house comes up on Zillow, which is just a real estate site. And this house pops up, and it's the exact same price to the penny as that other one, which, by the way, was out farther out of town, but that's what we felt like we needed to do to be affordable. And uh, this one was right across the street from my children's school, so like 15 minutes closer, right across the street, and three living spaces instead of one. And it's beautiful. I just... I loved how it looked. I was super excited. I'm like, honey, look at this one. And he's like, interesting. It got our attention. And we're looking at all the features, and we're like, that's really interesting. And But it was under contract. And we're like, okay. And my husband, right away, he's like, well, if it's ours, it'll fall out of contract. I'm like, okay. And so the next day comes up on the market again. The next day. And we're looking at the pictures, and what's funny is this is in a neighborhood where my kids, because it's across the street from the school, they already have more friends in that neighborhood than where we were living at the time. And it said, open house tonight. You know, like, it's back on the market, and we're going to put it an open house. It's a for sale by owner, which is why our agent didn't know about it. It's for sale by owner. And we're like, no, 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 you don't need to do an open house tonight. We submit a full price offer, like, this is our house, done. Slight unseen. Does sounding familiar? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, we're, we're going to still, you know, we've got 24 hours or however long we have to respond. And so they went ahead with the open house. I have a feeling they probably didn't have very many people because it was a first sale by owner and they'd only given a few hours notice for an open house, right? And so um, did he go to the open house? I think he did. But we walked around a little bit and then they accepted our offer and... It was, I don't have time to go through all the little details, but what I had felt absolutely compelled to save was almost to the penny of exactly what we needed to get into that place. And we didn't know if it was going to be this year or in the next three years. We were thinking, we'll buy a house sometime in the next three years. And here, boom, 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 all this happened after we had finally gotten united and decided on our mission and imagined how that's going to look living that out. 
boom, here's your house. This is the house you need so that you can get busy with that. Which is awesome because moving into this house, it wasn't about the house. We were already doing this other thing, and the house was just putting that piece to rest so that we could focus on the mission. It's been a great blessing, and we moved in in August. Thank you. You can clap. Uh, It was a long time renting and trying to recover and put everything back together, and moving in in August, we had brought with us a cat. His name is Tom. And he had moved with us the last three houses, right? And every time it's a little bit nerve-wracking to know whether he's an indoor-outdoor, whether we can let him go and know if he would find his way back. And so it's always that little act of faith to, okay, you go, let him free. If it comes back, he's really yours. <laughs> and every time he had come back. And this time we kept him in the house for a week to make sure he was really familiar with us and in that location because that first day he darted and disappeared and was hiding because it was new and scary. But we finally got the guts to let him out. And I let him out, and I was sitting on the front porch waiting and seeing kind of disappeared into the darkness. And uh, and then he didn't come back. I'm like, oh. But he'd been out all night before, so I just went to bed and hoped that he would be at the doorstep in the morning. Got up, next morning, no sign. And I'm like, oh, dear. And that evening, no sign. And I put it out to the neighborhood, or I talked to some friends in the neighborhood. I'm like, has anybody seen my cat? Y'all, he was on my wall this morning. I'm like, okay, at least he's not across the freeway, you know, like far away. And uh, he's somewhere. So I went up and down the street calling for him. And he's not like a dog. They don't come when you call. He's a cat. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm walking up and down the street calling him and didn't find him. Came back to the house and went inside. And a few minutes later... My kids are like, oh, Tom's back. So he had heard me and followed me home. I mean, he just didn't let me know it, right? <laughs> I'm like, great. And so for the next month or six weeks, he was in and out, and we're, we're good. Well, one night, he comes back, and he looks beat up. I don't know what happened to him, but his tail was matted and sticky, and he was limping. And I'm like, poor cat, what have you been through? You know, I couldn't even imagine what would make his tail sticky and limping. And we're like, oh, he's getting older. And I thought, maybe it's time to let him be an indoor cat. And the family was like, we got to keep him in. You know, he's forgetful. We have to show him where his food is. And <laughs> so one night I come downstairs and it, everybody else is in bed. And I'm by the front door. And he's sitting by the front door just looking at the handle. <laughs> and he's killing me, you know. I'm like, I know you love your outdoors so much. <laughs> And the family had already decided he needed to stay inside. And I'm like, but he wants it so bad. <laughs> and, and he wasn't even meowing. He was just sitting there, expectant. <laughs> He's using rare face. <laughs> He's visualizing it. <laughs> and he's just patient. And I'm like, okay. And I let him out. And he didn't come home. And I'm like, oh, no, the family doesn't know I did this. <laughs> I am going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> and so the next day, no sign of him. And I had hoped, because my son leaves for school before I'm up sometimes, and I thought, well, he left, and he's probably inside the house hiding somewhere. And so I just kind of hoped that was what was going on. Well, finally, that afternoon, I hadn't seen him, and I'm worried. And I'm asking the kids, do you guys know where Tom is? Have you seen Tom? And they're like, no, why? <laughs> 
Well, I tell him what happened. And so about 8 p.m., still no sign. I'm really feeling guilty and bad that I had done this. And I thought, wait a minute, I know what to do. So I went to my room, and I laid there, and I just imagined him walking on the main floor, just walking like, and, and I imagined myself saying, oh, there you are. And he goes over to his food, and he starts chomping, and I can hear him chomping his food. And I, I said a prayer in that place, because that's when I'm ready to pray. And I said a prayer, Heavenly Father, please send your angels to go find him and bring him home, if it's okay with you. If there isn't a reason that this shouldn't happen, you know, whatever, if it's okay with you, will you please send your angels to go find him and bring him home? And I had this distinct thought that it might take them a while to find him. Like, just because they're on the other side doesn't mean they're all-knowing, that sometimes their work takes time, which brings me to the law of gestation, that sometimes our our dream seeds. It's not poof, here's Tom. It's, all right, guys, let's go find him. And they're going out looking for him. I don't know. This is what I imagined. <laughs> and in the prayer, I'm seeing them looking for him. I'm just kind of imagining what that might look like. And I get a smile on my face. That's kind of my little indicator that I know I'm feeling it because the smile shows up without me meaning to put it there. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, and then I close my prayer with, thank you for bringing him home. And then, remember, the next step is to just believe and choose to believe and choose to kick out any worry or doubt. It's a switch that you turn on and off in your head. And most of the time, we don't realize that we have that switch. We just feel like a victim to our fear. We feel like a victim to our worry. But we can choose to believe. And sometimes if it's like got a hold of you and you can't get rid of it, you can speak it out loud. I choose to believe. And hearing yourself say that can sometimes interrupt it. But then I, uh, you know, I just chose to believe that everything was going to be fine. Within 10 minutes, I hear my kids, Tom's back! And I'm like, thank you. You know, it's not just about money. It's making sure that you are not the limiting factor in what God can do in your life. So you may set a goal that shouldn't happen. You may set a goal that wouldn't be good for you. You may set a goal that isn't God's plan for you. It's okay to set the goal with that little thing in the back of your mind that says, or thy will be done, you know. But just make sure that you're the one holding the image so that if it is good and right and worthy and appropriate and necessary, that it can happen because you didn't doubt. And then when it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, be grateful anyway. Because sometimes you find out, like Stephanie did, that it's on the other side of that test. This is deep stuff. I am glad that you came. I'm glad for the opportunity to share because every time I teach it, I'm reminding myself, go teach it to somebody. Experiment with it. Teach it to somebody. Hear yourself say it. Hear yourself say, I choose to believe. And just remember that it's going to work whether you're doing it for things you want or things you don't want. To worry and fear is to have faith in a negative thing. And worrying and fearing is within your control. We don't think it is sometimes. But if you remember when you feel it, just circle back, look at the building again at the edge of the field, which means see it again, feel it again, choose to believe, 
keep calm and watch what happens. So that's it. I'm going to open it up to any questions you might have. I'm not going to promise to get really deep and technical here. That's what the free downloads and everything are for because I just want you to come away from this feeling new belief and new hope that it's worth giving it a shot. Children are really good at this because they're so good at believing. Now, go watch all the Disney movies and look at all the truth that's in them that we think is just a cute little fairy tale. It's everywhere. So, are there any questions? Yes. Um, okay, so is it necessary for both you and your spouse to be on the same vibration, same wavelength when you're both doing two different things? No. You don't have to be on the same page. If you can just kind of get to a place where you see it, you feel it, I believe that a positive impulse, a positive pulse, has more power than a negative one. And so if you have a, a spouse or partner that is struggling, their struggle is only going to affect the outcome if you think it will. And that's a choice. I used to think, oh, now this can't happen because my husband is depressed today. And then I'd get upset and depressed about that. And I learned that, no, it can still happen as long as I choose to believe. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing or thinking. I also found out that I can have a bad day. I can have a day of doubt. I can have a week of doubt. It doesn't matter. I can have doubt and fear and worry and everything. It's what do I do after I'm done? Do I think, oh, man, I just blew it? Well, yeah, you just did. But not because of that week or day, because of what you decided, the meaning you attached to that. Because I'm moody sometimes. I just am. But when I have a bad day and I feel like, well, that kind of didn't help add to this process, I choose to think at the end of that, well, that was a dip. I choose to believe it's still on its way, and I'm really sorry for what I just did. I believe in grace and mercy in all of this. It's like when you plant a seed or you're watering a plant and you neglect it for a while, it's not automatically dead, right? So you don't have to get so uptight and stressed over whether you're doing it perfectly at all times. Just be human. There's a lot of rhythm. That's another one in Hidden Treasures that accounts for those ups and downs. The tide goes out and the tide comes in and it'll go out again and it'll come back in again. And we have those biorhythms where we're up and down. But what can stay consistent is a choice to believe. That can stay consistent. In other words, all right, this is really a bad day. I am struggling. I think everything's falling apart, blah, 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 blah. All right, once I pull myself together, I'm like, whoa, I can look at that and say, that was kind of a mess. Good thing there's mercy. I just want you to put this in the back of your head. If you want to spend three days deep into this stuff and experiment with the principles with a facilitator or with me, we have two events that are on the calendar. I'm doing a Science of Getting Rich workshop this weekend in Arizona, which is really short notice, but there's that. There's also Genius Boot Camp. So Science of Getting Rich is a study of what your thoughts are doing to the elements. It's really pretty amazing. The Genius Boot Camp is working on your internal block and what's going on inside of you. We've got a Genius Boot Camp in Malad. When are your two? You've got one coming up this month. It's sold out. It is sold out. Do you want to make more room? <laughs> <laughs> The next one is November 29th through December 1st. And can I just say one thing? So this is the fourth one that will be done in the last this year. 
and now people are asking for it outside us. So I don't know how many I'll be doing in this area for a while because people are asking for it outside us. And by the way, I think she may even have a deal for anyone who signs up for that tonight. If the timing isn't right or whatever, I am doing one in Arizona in November. Am I doing it in November? Is this October? 15th through the 17th. Yeah, November 15th through 17th. So that's in Arizona. But otherwise, if you haven't downloaded the book, go get those for free. Go watch the video for free. If you want something 